More than half of high-growth companies struggle with the sales development process. If you want your sales team to have more at-bats with decision-makers at target accounts, talk to Inside Sales Team, the sales development team experts at InsideSalesTeam.com. You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. This is David Delaney with another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. Really stoked to get this next guest on the show, Mr. Phil Keene, Director of Sales at Costello. How are you doing today, Phil? David, wonderful now I'm talking to you. You know I love talking to you. <laughs> so Phil just came off back-to-back super hardcore day of selling and promoting and doing everything for Costello. So thanks, man. Thanks for making the time today. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those days where you have like I've been back to back since eight AM. It's now four o'clock our time. So it's it's one of those days where you're like mentally drained. So hopefully I don't sound horrible, but I'm gonna preface that. So if you guys uh think that I, I don't sound great, maybe call me on a day that, that I didn't have six demos or discovery calls and, and training for sales and all that stuff. So we'll get there. But it's fun. Okay. So you're basically leaving <laughs> everything out on the field today. That's, that's I'm, I'm gonna give I'm giving you guys my all. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give everything I got. Well, this is really interesting. So let me just go through this a little bit, and then I want to hear about how you got involved with Costello. So Phil is – I don't even know if you knew this, but you are the 2017 top most influential inside sales professional from AAISP list. So congratulations on that. That's awesome. Thanks. And Phil was on the Engageo top 50 sales development leaders that you should know. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, you know, the funny thing about the AASP one is I, so I was actually at the event they gave the awards out and I, I actually jet it earlier because I was just, so I have a deep voice. So I'm at trade shows. I often lose my voice by the end of it. Like it just happens. I dehydrate and I drink probably way too much at night, that kind of stuff. But then I get to the point where it's like by the end of the week, I'm like, oh, I can't even talk. So it was, it was fun. So uh, that, that event's a good time. But I lost my voice at the end of the week. So I was like, I, I can't even talk anymore. And they don't, they close all the booths down. So I didn't have a booth anymore. So I was like, I got to go. Plus, I have my kids doing stuff. I have two kids at home. So I was like, all right, I can drive back now. And I had friends with me. They went to leave too. So it worked out. But I missed, <laughs> I actually missed receiving the award. I didn't know I was going to win. See, yeah, I, I can tell, I can tell that you go full out and then, you know, you're just done. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I push myself to the, to the absolute limit most times. Well, you're very, you know, involved in the community as well, Phil. You've got the uh, Real Sales Talk podcast, which if you guys haven't listened to, it's freaking awesome with Sean Mitchell. How many episodes are you guys up to on that now? Sean started a little before me. Uh, He got probably 30 episodes in. We are now... I think we just crossed 150 total or about 150 total. So we've we've been cooking with gas since about November and, and really going after it. Dude, that's amazing. I mean, I know from doing this, like it's actually a lot of work to put on a podcast. There's a lot of moving parts. So yeah. kudos. And if you guys haven't gone back, definitely subscribe. Go to the the website is awesome. And go back and, and listen to a lot of those episodes because you can learn a ton. Sean, how did you how did you get to this point? You're director of sales 
I initially met you at the the Sales Loft Conference last year, yeah. which was awesome, the Rainmaker Conference. But you're doing a lot for the community. You're you're leading the charge at Costello. How'd you get to this point? And you know, how'd you get involved with Costello? So that's a big question, right? So thinking about <laughs> how I got to the point I'm at, there's a there's a few things I would attribute to, and I think it actually ultimately led me to Costello as well. So I've been in sales for over 10 years, and I I joined the BDR team at Tinderbox, which is now Octave. And then I, I overperformed very quickly because I had already been in sales and then kind of knew the world and just I enjoy talking to people. So just natural curiosity usually helps win in that role. Uh, and effort, right, also helps win that role. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I work my butt off. I mean, I was working the nine to five typical hours, right? Then I go home and see my kids from like six because it takes me about 40 minutes to get home. From like six to eight, eight thirty, as soon as I put my kids down and my wife would go to bed. From like nine o'clock to two a.m., I'd sit there and I'd just sit there and prospect, and I'd find the people to talk to, and I started to 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 learn really quickly how to how to find the right person easily, and I started to come read books and figure out my own methodology and my own process of how this stuff works, and then they were like, "Hey, how about you lead the team and teach people how to do it?" So that made me go a whole other level deeper. So I I started seeking information from people like Trish Bertuzzi and Steve Richard and, and, and Ralph Barcy. And like, those are people I I reached out to very early in my career. So I'm talking almost five years now I've had a relationship with those people. So it was learning from good people really quickly. And I I would say that was something I started to do. And as that was happening, I would run into these problems and I'd start to try to recognize, like I'm big on pattern recognition. So the idea that if something happens, how do I, how do I deal with it? And then I try to figure out how to do it over and over and over and make it repeatable. And I would start blogging about it. And really, it wasn't even a blog at first. Like It was actually me in a notepad just kind of journaling the thoughts that I had in my mind because I typically talk to think. But whenever I'm at, um, when it's 1 o'clock in the morning, it's hard to find something to talk to think with you, uh, especially about sales development specifically. So, so I would journal myself and I would talk about it later with other people. But, but all that journal was really me solving my own problems and trying to figure out how to get it done. And... That actually then turned out to, I'm going to write something, put it on the website. So I started putting the on the website. And the crazy thing about it is like other people started listening to what I was saying, which was weird. It, it was fun though to hear, to have the, hey, I read this blog you had. Like It was super helpful because I had that same problem. And the thing is, everything I wrote about very early was so much the problems that existed in my world and my life. And it was for nobody else other than myself. I was very selfish in that sense. But like I want to tell the world, like this problem does exist and it's okay to have this problem. Like, But this is how I'm thinking about it. And, and people liked my ideas. Uh, and then that's how I met Sean. So Sean reached out and said, hey, come on Real Sales Talk and be a guest. So I was a guest twice. Uh, and then eventually I ended up becoming a co-host because his co-host had left. And and that was kind of that, that Real Sales Talk world. My brand's kind of consistently built over time because I've, I've stayed consistent and stayed kind of top of mind with a lot of things I've been doing. I always joke with with the team here at Costello, like my marketing plan is to be all places at all times and, and be, or sorry, be everywhere at all times. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to stay top of mind and, and I think there's a lot to it. And it's genuine. It's not, I don't have an agenda when I meet people. Another thing I did in my career outside of just blogging about my issues, my problems was I actually set a, a goal. I read an article in Inker Forbes. And I've said this in a few other podcasts as well. I said an article, I read an article that talked about having 50 coffees in a year. That was a, a person's like uh, New Year's resolution. So I was like, oh, you know what? It was kind of in the year. I was like, that can be my New Year's resolution for next year. And in 2015, that was my goal is to sit down and have 50 coffees. So I actually ended up by September, I was at like 75. And it, and it nice. was like sometimes, 
sometimes like virtual, right? So it'd be like you and David and I having a conversation virtually like we're doing right now in a podcast. But we, we would sit there, it wouldn't even be a podcast. It would just be me just getting to know David. And I would never come with an agenda. So that, that was super helpful. So those are things that really gave me the framework of my career, how to learn, how to learn from other people, how to build relationships. And then from there, I mean, Costello was, I was actually introduced through somebody that I got a coffee with to the founders and it's sales technology. So they kind of sat down and we, we met four or five times about the product and, and it was, it was, there's so many things, the stars aligned in a certain sense. The team is great. The product is great. What they're trying to solve is really big and it could be really fun. And it was just natural. Like it just felt really good. And I had to say yes to, to coming over to the team. I love it, dude. There's so much here. I mean, there's so much for everybody to learn, whether you're an SDR or you're a CEO <laughs> running yeah. a company and you're kind of trying to figure out, you know, one, how do I stand out among the, the, the horde of people that are out there? And then, and then number two is, you know, building that personal brand. I mean, you, you've touched on so many important aspects of that. One thing is just the work ethic. I mean, you know, you've got a full day of work instead of going home and cracking open a beer and watching some game of thrones <laughs> which which is which is fine if you can fit that in but you know after you and it, you know putting your kids dealing with your kids is exhausting and then yeah. going on and doing your prospecting from 9 to 2 a.m. have you, have you always had that that kind of work ethic yeah i mean so it kind of goes back so you go back to college I had a business mentor of mine who used to be a headhunter for sea levels and he was an advisor to my fraternity. I was actually president of the fraternity at the time. And, and in college, I was actually president of my fraternity. I was working 50 to 60 hours a week at, at Best Buy and retail. And I was also taking a full credit load of 18, 18 credit hours in college. So that was, that was a, two years straight uh, while I was at Ball State University. And the way that he sat down and talked to me and he was like, he's like, you could be a CEO of a company one day. He's like, I just want to let you know that you have that potential. And that was the first time, like I came from, I came from a middle America, lower class, middle American family, like not a bad upbringing at any, any means, but like I never envisioned my mind like, Hey, I can be a CEO of a company one day. Uh, and it was that person who, who had hired hundreds of very qualified CEOs and C-levels saying that about me. Like it just, it lit a fire into me that I never thought it would exist. And that, I mean, I can actually think back and track that moment very specifically. Yeah. That's amazing. I was listening to this interview with Elon Musk and he was saying how, you know, if you're, if you're putting, if your competition's putting in 40 hour weeks and you're putting in 80 hour weeks, then, you know, <laughs> just based on simple compounding, you're doing double the work in the same amount of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. As long as it's smart and focused, then, you you're just basically outworking the competition. Yeah, but I also think there's also so the CEO of my former company Tinderbox kind of helped me phrase that out and and help mold my mind and where I was at. His name's Dustin Sapp. The reason why I went to work for him is is he gave me that foundation of helping my me prioritize that in my life. And a lot of it was he actually told me verbatim he's like if you are coming to Tinderbox to work at Tinderbox because you love Tinderbox, he's like you're not a fit to be to be an employee here. He's like He's like, you. It's, it's not just about work. He's like, the reason, he's like 80% of the reason why I work is because of my family and that's my priority. And I think it was that, it was that level to, to see the time and effort he put into a business for me to be able to see that out of him. 
And I truly believe that's real leadership is to to emulate the qualities that you want out of your people that, that are working for you. And, and I took that characteristic from him. So that really helped me frame out. And I really think that's an important thing for people to understand is that, yeah, I put in a lot of hours and I don't like to brag about it because it doesn't really actually matter because I think you can do it with less if you're more efficient. But at the same time, it's like I'm willing to do it. But the reason why I'm willing to do it is because I know I have two kids at home that that I want to make proud. And we're getting super deep and personal, David, but I, I love it. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I yeah, sorry. No, no, I I love it. It's it's fine. It's I, I hopefully people can like this is all 100 percent truth and honesty. Like so, if you go into the world, like I actually actually remember uh, I interviewed to go back to to Best Buy. And I remember walking into the building and I loved working at Best Buy for, for so many reasons. And I was at a, another tech company prior to Tinderbox. And I had a chance to go back to Best Buy and, and basically get the perfect scenario of what it would look like to go back. I was working for my best friend or one of my best friends and his boss was my former business mentor while I was there. So I saw a path. I had a good relationships. The team I was going to work for was an amazing team. And I got offered the job. And I looked him in the eyes. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, I can't do this to you. I'm not committed the way I wanted to be committed. And I remember thinking I was sitting on my porch at my house. And, and when I, when I made that decision to tell him that, and I was having a child at the time. And I remember thinking like, if I go do this, like I'm going to do this until I'm 40 years old. And, and how can I go look my child in the eyes in 10 years and tell him to go live up to his dreams and go chase his dreams when I don't physically do that? When I didn't go after it, when I, why didn't, I didn't take a risk when I was 23 years old, 24 years old, uh, and I took that risk to, to go to a company and make a 20% as a salary that I was making at, at, at the other place at the time. And, and that was the kind of thing where it was, it was a big risk, but the upside was big. So and I, it's paid off now, and it took a long time to pay off, but it did pay off. No, it's it's amazing when you when you have kids, it's such a mirror on your own soul in a lot of ways, because you're you're trying to guide them and, and give them advice that you've earned, you know, over twenty, thirty, forty years. And and a lot of times you're looking back and on yourself and going, Wait a minute, okay, I know the right things to do, but you know, am I necessarily demonstrating that on a daily basis to my kids? Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. It changes your perspective on things. But I think you could think that way even without kids. I mean, you think about it. it I've, I've used this phrase. I'm not trying to sound like some of the other people that are out there. But like, what legacy you want to leave for yourself? And that was always something I used to use in college when I was president. Is like we went through a house cleaning, which means that basically you, you interview all your brothers that are some of your best friends, right? And you basically figure out if they're able to stay in the house or not. And as a president, that's really difficult to go through. Uh, and the question I sat down in front of the entire the entire chapter is like, I said, is like, we have to really think about what legacy we want to leave for ourselves. Like, what is it we want to be known for here in campus? And I think if you think about that world, like, what else? What what do you want to be known for? And that's at a very micro level. But but what's what's written on your tombstone at the end of it? Like, we're all going to die. It's it's inevitable, right? <laughs> what do you want to be known for when it happens? Uh, not to be morbid, but that's that's the truth. Like, we're all going to go through this situation where. Like, what do I want my kids to remember me for? What do I want to be a part of? Like, whenever I, whenever you leave a place of employment, right? So maybe not even take it to the other level, but you leave a place of employment. What do people say about you when you leave? Like, that matters and that carries weight. And that's why my goal, whenever I've ever actually had, I had a BDR ask me, like, what's your goal after, after this? Uh, I was like, well, you know, that's a good question. And it was in an interview. I was like, 
And I thought about it and smiled. I was like, I don't ever want to put a resume in ever again. That was actually like kind of anything. I was like, I don't ever want to have to put a resume in. And I want my legacy to carry enough weight that I don't have to do that. And I want my brand and who I am to, to carry enough weight that I don't have to put a resume in if I don't want to. I think that was that was kind of my goal after that. And I think there, there's a lot to that. Yeah. I mean, to be able to, you know, look at those long hours that you're working, for example, one one thing I heard was if someone was filming you at all times, you know, are you able to take that <laughs> that film and show everybody exactly what you're doing during all that time? Are you working smart enough? Are you are you working on the goals that will move you forward and leave a legacy? Or are you just kind of bouncing around and, and you know, taking yeah. up a lot of time to do things. So that, that one, that one would be tough. I mean, if I was on camera, like on some reality show, you know, 24 seven, am I super, super laser focused on what's going to push that forward or, you know, w- wasting time on things. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other quick thing that you mentioned is that mentor that you had kind of opened your eyes to the possibilities of what you could do with the power that you, you were given with your work ethic and your focus and your ability to communicate. And that's another thing with kids. I mean, it seems like, you know, if the parents are really clear on opening the kids eyes and, and making sure that they understand the potential that they have and and guiding them in that way, you know, nobody else (laughs) necessarily is going to tell them. And it's, it's, I think a lot of kids, they don't really get that from, from like adults in their life. And then they, they don't realize the possibility that they could potentially have. So that just kind of made me think about that. Yeah, I, I think that's, it's completely valid. And I think it's something where even in a mentorship, you don't, it doesn't have to be something that, that is where you want to be in life uh, in five to 10 years. It could be something that's up here. There can be a lot that you can take. There's a lot of things I, I the SDR that works for us here at, at Costello that I take a lot from from him in terms of the way that he thinks about the world where his hustle is, I mean, I mean where he wants to get to. Like there's a lot about him that that I that drives me, right, to go back and work really, really hard or or anybody on our team that there's there's elements of, of people on our team that that I want to emulate. And I, I think that goes back to like you're you're the makeup of the five people that are surrounding you. And the SDR that sits next to me at my desk, like we'll probably have a very long professional career together. But I think in the sense of like just the way that he he pushes me harder uh, than I think he knows it. So I, I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, that I mean, the, the, you have to be really deliberate, I think, in the people that you surround yourself with. And, you know, for the folks that are listening on the call, it's it goes back to recruiting and putting together the the ideal you know candidate that you think would fit in in your company. Because for you gave an example with one of your employers of, you know what what's important in that interview process and what you want to do because you're spending so much time at work, right? I mean, it's like at least forty hours a week in the office. It's more more time than you spend with your family. So it's I think that you know really being deliberate about who you surround yourself with and you know even hate to say it but like cutting toxic toxic people out of your life ruthlessly. I think that's really important too. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And one last quick thing, Phil, as you were putting together, you know, when when I think about content, I think it's really hard for SDRs, BDRs who have just been in the in the business for a year or two, five years, even ten years, and they're thinking, How do I build a personal brand and and how do I 
how do I add value to the community if I'm newer? But one thing that you mentioned that was really interesting is you had that pattern recognition and you used, you know, your initiative to try to solve your own problems and just basically put that out there and, and people responded to it. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So I think in the SDR world, I, so that there's a scientific way to think about the world. And if you, you, there's only so many ways to solve most problems. So if you go with a hypothesis that I feel, right, there's always logical ways to think about things. So if you can think about the logical way to solve an issue, right, and your hypothesis is if I do X, right, the result would be Y. If you can think about that world, I mean, then it's working backwards and thinking, all right, what's, what would be the order I'd have to solve this in? And then what you do is you test it over and over and over. And you figure out what happens and you put yourself in different scenarios, right, to understand how what would happen. Uh, and what I would start to do is I'd reach out to people that were potential peers or people that have been through those, the things that I have been to. So as I start to figure out what the hypothesis is before I actually pushed and did anything with it, I would reach out to someone like yourself or I'd reach out to, to someone that's been in that role and I'd say, hey, so what would happen if this, if, if this scenario played out like this? And I, what I start to understand is what would typically happen, right? So there, there's usually, if you talk to 10 people, usually there's a trend you can recognize inside of that. Interesting. And by recognizing the trend, you could usually hypothesize if I do this right, right, this is probably what's going to be the outcome, right? If I make this small, subtle tweak, maybe this would be the outcome. And, and everybody's got a different path or they explain it differently. But I think that that's really what it took is like I would reach out to people and ask very specific questions. So building out things like comp plans for the first time, which is incredibly difficult if you haven't done it. Because what, what it actually means of a lot of things is, is how that person pays rent, pays for their family, puts shoes on, on their kids' feet and food on the table and, and all of the other motivations to why they work. But you also have to understand this, why, it's, why they're motivated. So how do you motivate them through a comp plan? And, and most times it's not just how much I'm going to pay you. So then you have to think about what are the things that I need, right? Or what are the things that the company needs out of this comp plan to make it work? And I had so many different conversations with different people about it because it's so critical a part of a job. I mean, it's why you work is to get paid. So I remember having conversations with people like Steve Richard where he's like, hey, you can't really use this as a metric because if you do that, it's really too far down downstream from a revenue standpoint that you guys won't get paid. And then you can't really incentivize somebody because it doesn't happen for this amount of time. And like I remember having that conversation and like something clicked. And I would talk to people like Trish and I'd talk to her about her compliance and how she built it out, what she thought about. I talked to people from like sales lofts. So I talked to like Kyle Porters or Sean Kesters of the world. And they would have they would tell me, this is how we structure our, our comp plan. And they were a really open book about it. And then I would talk to people that were peers inside of our own Indianapolis network. So I knew exactly what people inside of Indianapolis one were paying. So I knew if I was aligned, but also at the same time, how they thought about the structure, why they did the things they did. So I started to understand the different ways that someone would go about building a comp plan and why they did it. So that was the key part. It's why you built it the way you built it. And then that gave me the ability to to really kind of make my own opinion and build my own comp plan that, that actually worked. And then I could iterate against it if it didn't. Inside Sales Team fully integrates with clients. CEO of Discover Org, Henry Shutt, partnered with us, and we've generated over $25 million in new business revenue. They are firing on every best practice for running a sales development team. Learn more at InsideSalesTeam.com. So there's a, a few things, and you mentioned this before, it's reaching out to folks 
kind of standing on the shoulder of giants. You know, they've been around for a while. They've, they've seen these problems. They've dealt with these problems, you know, through LinkedIn and other sources. We now have the, the ability to reach out to these people, get into a conversation with them, test your hypothesis, and then you take it back. Now you have something that you can test against and, and see how it works for you. Is, you know, if a there's like a sales development manager or sales development rep that's got a real issue that they're trying to solve, they just can't figure it out. Like I had one guy who reached out to me on LinkedIn and was just like, I, I'm an inbound rep. I can't figure it out. I, I don't know why I'm struggling. You know, would you would you recommend them doing a similar, you know, process that, that you just laid out? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been, I would say, so the 50 coffee thing also went both ways. Right. So it also mm-hmm. went back to the place. Like I would talk to reps cause I just wanted to help them. And, and then like, I would say the most valuable thing you can do as a, as a sales leader is to recruit. <laughs> so it's always like, there's always a little bit of an agenda in the back end. Like I want you to know who I am, but at the same time, like, like I need to understand the way that they were thinking, right? Well, what motivated them and how their life worked, but there's not been a time where someone has reached out to me where I didn't, take the call if it was genuine and I would make time out of my calendar to have those conversations because I know that I needed it when I was in their position and the fact they're willing to do it. It meant a lot. Like one, they care about their profession and I care about my profession. I care about sales. I care about sales, having a good repetition. I have, I care about sales getting better, right? I care about people that care about their own craft. So I'm always willing to take that call. And I think there, there's a lot to be able to share your knowledge down or even up or wherever, right? You're just sharing knowledge with other people. And and there's a lot there's a lot to it. And I think it goes back to an earlier comment. We talked about legacy. I mean, what do you want to be known for when, when you're when you're done with whatever it is you're done with? Is that rhetorical or are you actually asking me? No, I mean it could be rhetorical, but but I mean I think that's <laughs> it, it, it's that game. I think there's there's a lot to it. Like like I want I want people to know that that I'm I'm willing to open up and have a conversation. I mean we're we're having a fairly open dialogue on this. Like I don't have anything to hide. I'm not trying to hide anything at all and mm. and hopefully that comes across in, in in the dialogue that we're having. There's a certain like that's what I want to be known over, somebody that can be pretty honest with the things he's saying and because of that I can relate to you and I know that you can help me solve my problems and and I want to be that person. Like I want to so I all right, go big picture, right? So if I look at my goal, right, I want to be a CEO of a company one day. And part of it goes back to our earlier conversation. But the reason why I want to be a CEO is not the title. Right? I want to affect the most change possible uh, at the highest level possible. And I would say for me to be able to get there, like that's that's what I would say is for me to be success, right? So if I can get to that level, I can affect as many people as possible. And I feel I can grow a company really well, but be able to get there. But at the same time, right, for me to feel comfortable to be able to put myself in the best position is I need to understand things at a pretty high level. So that's why I became a director of marketing at Octave. It's why I'm going to continue to be a director of sales and VP of sales here at Costello. Because I want to know how it works in that role so I can help people that are working for me or with me or I work for them, right, if you really think about it in that sense, that I can help them be better at their jobs so that I essentially you can make more people happy and more, more money and, and grow more companies and supply more jobs and solve more world's problems. It's an upward spiral from there based yeah. on a genuine openness that you have and, and willing to help. And, and again, you're, you, you have, it seems like a learner's mindset and a very hard work ethic. And it's like, if you can combine all those three, reach as many people, 
you know, it's it's a, it's a virtuous cycle, it seems. Yeah, I think fundamental, the, the core belief of who I am uh, is to learn from challenge and change, right? And then a, a, a commitment to a lifelong, a, a lifelong commitment to learning. Yeah. And I think about that, like, I always want to get better. I always want to figure out a way to get better at it. I always want to figure out ways to do things uh, more efficiently. I want to think about ways to help other people. I want to learn from other people. And I think about the, the idea to learn from challenge to change is that there's going to be times where I don't know the answer. And it's going to be challenging. And I think if you think, think about companies that have failed over the course of the last 100 years, the ones that have really failed are the ones that when Amazon came and ate their lunch, they couldn't make it, they, they couldn't adjust, right? They couldn't figure things out to, to be successful. And there was people there that were unwilling to make change whenever the, the, the market was telling them to make change. Exactly. And, and one thing I always try to remember myself and I try to tell my kids is the journaling. You mentioned that you're, you know, you would journal and I just think that that's so important. And like one, uh, like a little catchphrase that I heard is if you think it, ink it, you know, just get it down because you never know where your next, you know, valuable idea will come from your next, you know, uh, content piece and things like that. So I think that that journaling is just critical and it's, it's, it's gotta be a habit, right? Right. Totally. Absolutely. I think sometimes just make time for it. Like go sit down and, and make it happen, which mm -hmm. is often very difficult to do it is it is and that's funny because i was reading an article about how some of these very high level people winston churchill and einstein and all these people would just take off in the middle of the day and just just walk for like two hours you know and this is obviously before everyone was looking at their phone and you know being pinged on their iWatch and all this stuff but they would just walk you know walk out and bring a journal and just like get all their thoughts down. And, and when they come back to the office, it's, it's fresh and, and um, they've got maybe their next big idea. So, yeah, that's good. So just to wrap things up, this, this has been amazing, by the way, I just, I think that folks are going to get a ton of value off this. And Phil, I, I really appreciate you, you know, digging into your archives to, to share some of your best practices with us because it's, it's super helpful. I, I'd like to know just, you know, what was it about Costello of, I mean, you must have had a lot of opportunities. Hopefully you don't have to use a resume anymore. I don't think you should. <laughs> a lot of opportunities for different things to look at. But what was it about Costello that made you take a pause and go, wow, you know, this is a problem that a lot of people have or they're doing something amazing? Yeah. So it's sales tech, which I, I love sales people and the profession of sales. So I think that's part of it. Uh, so I'm selling sales tech to sales people, solving sales problems with basically I get to nerd out and work in my, I have a podcast about sales, right? I get to talk about sales all day long. <laughs> yeah. So it, it kind of works for me where I, I just enjoy the conversation and I enjoy the profession and getting better at it. But if you look at a high level, really, I mean, Costello aims to, to answer a few questions for people. So one is how do I identify gaps and deals that I'm working? So if you think from an account executive side, like what are the things that you're missing that you could potentially be roadblocks if you don't have these, you're going to lose. And I think that that was something that from my career, right, over 10 years, that if I just had more of that, I would have actually probably won more and made a lot more money. So I saw the value there. Then really at the outside of that, it's like, how do I structure my calls and, and follow a process and then capture that information to be able to build a better business case and to make sure I, I get the right information while I'm in a phone call. 
uh, and then also make it easy for me to, to capture the information. I mean, a lot of times if you think about the way that it works today and in, in those two scenarios is managers are like, hey, David, bring five things to this pipeline review and tell me every single deal that you're working. And then from a call side, it's like, hey, I'm going to take notes in a notepad, right? And none of that data is going to get back to Salesforce that you want me to. You're just going to tell me to fill out five fields, but I'm not going to actually tell you all the data that you actually want to know, which is sitting in my black box on my desk that you aren't privy to. Right? That actually happens in the world. So, so they were solving really that issue. It's like, how do I how to make it easier to, to, one, structure my calls to find the right information, one, capture that information, and then get it back to your CRM system. And then the, really the other side is like, how do I manage those deals and, and identify gaps in the deals that I'm working on the really big picture, cool thing that we're doing that I was super, super enticed by because it would make me, it would have made me better in my, my, my past life and it's make me better here now is, is showing you data on all those calls that you are having or any of the deals that you're working. Just understand what it is about those that actually make a move through a process. So let's say a real life scenario, I'm an SDR and I'm passing over, every time I pass over a lead with competitor A, I get a 5% conversion rate to an opportunity. First competitor B, I have a 45% conversion rate. On an individual level, right? Maybe I'm not good at talking about competitor A. Or at a macro level, at a, at a very company level, right? Maybe it's, we actually don't do well against competitor A. We do better against competitor B. Why don't we go target competitor B and go get more opportunities against them? Because we win those most times. Like that's the type of data that we're, we're supplying that we can help you help you understand why it's happening, the context behind it, not just the data itself. So that's super powerful. And, and that's why Costello, that's why I was super intrigued by it. I think there's so much and there's so many things that we can go do, but it's, it's a, it's a really good solid product that works really well, which is hard to find. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of that, like it's, it solves a pretty cool problem. So. That's amazing. That's great. I'm so glad, you know, glad that you were able to, to find that. And I, I totally know how you feel. I, I left the cybersecurity industry to get into marketing and sales technology just because I wanted to geek out on it <laughs> like nonstop all day. And still, I mean, even putting together the conference, like uh, being able to work with the vendors and, and get everybody on board. I mean, it's just an endlessly fascinating space. So sounds like you've got the technology, you've got the people there and it's onward and upward for, for you and Costello. So. Yeah, it, it's funny. I was actually talking to one of my my lawyer friends, and she she and I were having a conversation. And I had just got out of sales training, so I I, I still go to sales training. I, I will continue to go to sales training for a very long time. And I was talking through how my process works to have conversations, and she was just like, "You know, now that you say that, like, I had no idea that much goes into sales." It's like, yeah, there's a lot to it. Like, if you really like, if you start to hone your craft and really think about it, there's a process and there's a method to how everything should actually happen. And I think that's actually one of the biggest things that are gaps in in the sales world today in general, and specifically SDRs, is like we're really not giving you skills to have that type of conversation. It's not a craft for most people. Really, it's just a, hey, go make 100 dials and go make it happen, and, and you're going to have 20 conversations and hope one answers and says yes. Like It mm-hmm. can't just be math. Like there's There's an art to it, and you have to be really good at it. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, and not to keep bringing it back, but when I I did my speech at the conference, um, one of the slides was of a bus stop. And it was like, my point was, sales development needs to stop being a bus stop. (laughs) It's like, you don't just go there for four months, and then hopefully, you'll get promoted. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, 
it, it should be more of a craft. I mean, it, we can improve it by, you know, plugging in tools like yours, really understanding what we're saying and, and how we're communicating with prospects. So yeah, yeah, it's super useful. I would say that's probably the other problem that exists in the sales development world is that it's a, it's a bus stop, right? It's, it's four months and you're done and you flip over to the next thing. And I've seen that happen and I've, I've done it myself from promotion side of things where when you promote somebody way too, too early, they're not set up for success. And I think it's hard, it's hard to chew on this, but I'm gonna say it out loud because I think people need to hear it as an SDR. You need to be in the role for at least 18 months. Yeah. And, and that's, it's tough because a lot of times it's six months. You're like, all right, I'm ready to get promoted. You're not, you're not ready. And I know that like, and I, I, maybe you are right. Maybe you're very, very good at your job, but there's something to actually learning the, the profession and learning the craft of being good at prospecting and, and, and all the things that go into be an SDR, BDR, ADR, MDR, whatever you call yourself, where you'll be able to carry that with you for the rest of your career. Now, imagine if you start your own company, right? One day you're going to figure it all out. And you're going to figure out a problem that exists and you're going to go start your own company. The ability for you to prospect and set meetings on your own is going to be invaluable. Like that is something that you need to do really well for the rest of your life as an account executive, which is your next step. If you cannot prospect and sit your build your own pipeline, the only person responsible for your number is you, period. And I will believe that to the end of the time. The only person from a sales perspective that's responsible to hit their number is sales. And it's the salesperson. And it's their number, right? So unless sales can supply their own number, which means they're prospecting on their own, doing their own thing, then you probably have no reason to complain. Like you have to be able to figure that out. And and if maybe sometimes you have a lot of help from inbound, maybe you have a lot of help from from SDRs helping you out. But that those types of jobs are probably going to not exist very often in, in a lot of that world. Like it's it's getting people that have to have some complexity, that have to hustle a little bit harder. Those are the things that are going to have to have a salesperson that helps out. Totally, man. I mean, wait until you bootstrap a company. Uh, guess what? You're an SDR most of the time. Right. <laughs> so you got to know that whether you're like 20 years old or 40 years old, uh, you'd hustle yep. and get in the door slammed in your face. So yeah. um, it, it is invaluable. And come on, I mean, 18 months or 24 months, it's really in the grand scheme of things. If you're thinking about it, <laughs> you know, you're going to be in your career for 30 or 40 years. I mean, come on, like, like you're just starting yeah. to get good and then, and really adding value to the company. And I mean, yeah, it is, it's a tough job, but you know, you can always get better every day. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And even like bridge group came out with a study recently that, that verified, you know, the longer that you stay in and, and you, you perform as an SDR, the more success you're going to have as an AE it's been proven. So it's important to think about. Yeah, I actually wrote a blog. If you want to know uh, more about why I feel the way I feel about it, and we don't have to go in crazy detail on it, it, there's actually a blog on Sales Hacker. It's called Why Mastering Sales Development Takes More Than 15 Months. And I referenced some of the Bridge Group's early data that they had against this. But it talks about like why you – so at a very high level, you set yourself up for long-term success, right, for the reasons that we talked about. Like you're actually crafting how to have conversations, how to, how to have dialogue. You're also setting yourself up for, for short-term success. So as you become an account executive, if you're getting promoted, very likely you are the number one performer on that team. So by promoting you, not only do you spread the deals that are being passed over thinner because there's more people in the AE role, you also take away the best pro prospector, you, out of that role. So until somebody's there to backfill you, like you really should not want to take that step up because it's going to make it harder for you to hit your number. Like Those are two things that I would say like, 
just read the entire article. You can get my, my, my point of view. If you want to have a full dialogue about it, you can email me. It's Phil, P-H-I-L-L, at andcostello.com. I love it. I think I, I think you'll get a lot of hits on that because most people, you know, they're in there six months and they're just like, get me out of here, man. I can't. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'll, I'll be an AE or whatever you got. Just get me out of this. And, you know, that it's kind of. Yeah, it, it, it negatively impacts everybody <laughs> to have that, that that expectation. So, yeah, hit up Phil if you want to talk about it more. Phil, this has been amazing. I wanted to give you you know enough time. We, we're running up against the hour. Thank you so much for being on the show and imparting your wisdom. I think we need to do round two very soon because there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody's out there want to talk or anything you want to go elaborate on, like feel free to email David or myself and we got to give the people what they want, David. So if they want to talk about something, we will definitely do that for you. Yeah, for sure. Phil's over on LinkedIn, uh, realsalestalk.live. Live, yeah. right. I knew it wasn't .com. Realsalestalk.live. We're at the salesdevelopmentpodcast.com. Phil, thanks again and we'll talk soon. Thanks, David. Have a good one.